welcome. Thank you ladies for coming along. Uh, I have with me today, I am Nadia Phillips, I am head of MO for Umbrella, and I have Tina Comrie, Erica Palmer, and Sam Borg joining me today for our International Women's Day podcast. We're sitting here, we have bubbles. We have got lots to talk about. It is about breaking the bias. We'll get into that. But firstly, a wee introduction. Tina. Hi. Thanks for having us, Nadia. Thank you all for joining us here in the office of the Attention Agency, of which I'm the CEO. And I do excuse the squeaky chairs, the glasses on the tables, the very unpodcasty studio that we happen to be in. This is our first attempt. Um, I have worked with Nadia um, for the um, umbrella business across the across the whole business as the marketing team I guess you could say uh, across a whole bunch of stuff plus about half of our clients here at the agency are um, tech related as well so I am the most loosely related woman woman in tech you could say in the room here um, but still have a I guess an inside out view of of the sector yeah how about you Erica Firstly, thank you so much, Nadia, for having me here um, and inviting me to sit with you lovely ladies. Um, I am the co-founder of Coupler. Um, it is a relationship management app that helps couples plan and book date nights. Uh, I'm a recent woman in tech. We co-founded the app at the end of 2020. So, yeah, this space is new for me. Super exciting, and I'm about to do an intro, but I have a thousand questions for you. Uh, how I, I need I need to know the details. Maybe we can take that offline. Um, but I'm Sam Borg. I am the country lead for Dado here in New Zealand. I have been in tech for about four years, and prior to that, I was doing kind of sales enablement and recruitment and training. If you don't know who Dado is, we are a technology vendor that uh, partners mainly with managed service providers to increase their cyber resiliency and data protection, enable them to run really efficient and lean managed services practices. So I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, ladies. And I met Sam through my role at Umbrella because we also um, help service our MSPs, which are managed service providers in the IT industry. Slightly differently, Umbrella is one of Microsoft's distributors here in New Zealand, one of four. Uh, and we also have a direct business to with our professional services. So my role is uh, overseeing the the marketing and the operations for the business, which is super exciting. Um, I am one of three females um, on our SLT, if you include um, our, the People Project with HR. So not quite 50%, but we're getting up there. Nice. We're getting up there. My background is of, of being in tech for about uh, three years. Prior to that, I was in a workshop with my husband who builds custom motorcycles and hot rods. So tech for me, again, relatively new. Uh, however, my, my passion has always been in, around marketing and events and with the business side, obviously, and, and, and the operations. So awesome to have you ladies here. We are going to come. I would like to know about Coupler. So how does Coupler work? <laughs> Uh, so it's an app. Um, you can download it from the app store at the moment. You, it's sort of centered around three pieces of core functionality. So the first um, being a shared calendar that pulls in all of your partner's um, calendars and all of your own calendars so you can find the space to be together. Um, you can then send each other date hints. So from restaurants, movies, events, things that you want to do on date night, and then you can actually go ahead and book those directly within the app. So we've integrated cool. with 
over 800 restaurants in New Zealand at the moment, um, you know, to allow that direct booking. Um, We've got more restaurants and cinemas in the pipeline in the near future. so. So cool. Yeah, I'm also really excited for the third release, but I'm probably not allowed to say that yet. Probably not. I absolutely love that. That is, to me, as working women, um, how hard is it for us to try and juggle the life of everything else and then spend that time with hubby and also try to find time around his diary? I think that is... um, that is awesome. 100%. 100%. We're actually the type of couple that just send each other calendar invites when we want to do something because we live and breathe in our diary. So there's there's a lack of romance. There's no planning. I'm just like, this looks cool. Send it straight through. And now I'm in a cadence where all my friends get calendar invites as well. It's very yeah. – there's no thought leadership around it at all. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I mean – you know, some might say that we've taken the romance a little, you know, out of I love maybe that. scheduling some of these dates, but just getting them in the diary is mm-hmm. so important and just making the space for that quality time. So that's, that's what true. we're about. That's about the well-being. I spoke actually with a lady yesterday and we were talking about that well-being and how at the moment there's so much unwell-being and some of that is actually that we need to be scheduling first up. Uh-huh. Um, our fitness Mm-hmm. our breaks, our holidays, things that are with our kids and our mm-hmm. families, mm-hmm. day nights with hubby, and then have our work life and things like that go around it. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, I agree completely. It's it, even down to that level of intimacy, right? You know, couples who have been together for such a long time, whether they're same gender or, you know, or, or hetero couples, whatever that looks like, it's super important to book first. And I've been doing a lot of reading or listening if anyone, uh, if anyone likes a podcast. Goodness, what's her name? She's French. Esther Perel on the tip of my tongue um, but she speaks about that you know love and intimacy and relationships need to be worked out and it needs to actually be something that it's not always spontaneous right it needs to be planned and most like long-term relationships are going to be more fruitful having done so and setting aside the time yeah. a little bit off topic of tech but you know what we're all humans and we're all about forging relationships yeah. it's really important that that tech can bring it together yeah we're not just women in tech we're women and we're human that's right we're human we have lives um now i've I've got this up on the screen in front of me and i thought um it'd be quite useful for us to talk about i guess the whole women's day international women's day theme for the year 100 percent. do you want to read actually read that out tina let's let's see exactly what this theme is sure um it is a little bit of waffle if i'm going to be honest but we'll get there. So what it says here on the website is, imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination, a world that's diverse, equitable and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated. Together, we can forge women's equality. Collectively, we can all hashtag break the bias. <laughs> break the bias. That's, that's coming so many things. So I mean, I, Sam, just before this, you started, you, you kind of launched in on even with how we talk about the bias and how is that creating our own inequality because of actually talking about it even being a bias. Well, well, that's exactly right. And um, I'll, I'll do a little disclaimer that I actually have a degree in gender studies and cultural studies. So I am a qualified um, feminist or somebody to comment on these things. So that's why sometimes I break out in a burst of passion about things and, and I waffle. Um, but look, I, 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 I think you're right, right? We, we kind of live our lives in binaries. 
um, it's male or female, it's right or wrong, it's black and white and right. It's I think sometimes when we try to reinstate our equality, we're kind of differencing ourselves or other, othering ourselves a little bit more and putting ourselves on that opposite. So I think it's from a personal perspective, it's really important to embrace that fluidity, whether it's, you know, male or female, sex or gender, it's we're all just humans and we work in tech and we all deserve this, the same level of respect and we should be co-considerate to to everybody. So I potentially just waffled again. But, yeah, I, I think it's just interesting to think about the language with which we use and how that further distances people from the actual cause that you're trying to fight. Yeah, can I, um, I? I totally hear what you're saying and this leads me to a real pet peeve of mine and I'm not sure how you ladies feel about it, but I am allergic to the ter- terms like she-e-o, boss babe. I just can't. You are just like an executive. I'm just right? a CEO. You're a, I'm yeah. just a, a business person. Just, I'm not just. I'm not just, right? Woman. I'm not just, you know, like I feel like what you're saying is by othering yourself, you're actually making it worse. Well, I we're reaffirming. So you know, the perceived biases. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. So while there are really strong movements, and I don't doubt that there are positive things happening with the CEO movement and boss babes out there all grinding and, you know, hustling their way as women in business, I personally don't want to prescribe to it. Um, and I just want to be perceived as just another executive along with every other gendered person in the room mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not a CEO. Completely capable, irrespective of your gender or how you perform your gender. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Jumping on something you said there around the hustling uh-huh. and uh, there was, a, there was a, a quote that I saw the other day and I shared it with you, Tina, and that was around women are expected to work like they don't have children and have children like they don't work. <laughs> and yeah. that that to me just pinpoints that hustling where mm. it's ridiculous like so so what what I find hard is that as part of the stereotyping or this giving ourselves this other we're putting more pressure on ourselves to try and fit up on the same level mm. when realistically we are like it's not that we're not on the same level but there are other things or there is more going on mm. and there's actually nothing wrong with that. I don't need to hide that I have children no. and I don't need to try and be the perfect mum to the school mums. But, but there seems to be this inequality of that we're expected to be everything. Mm-hmm. To break the bias, we're expected to be everything. Yeah. But that's just going to burn us out. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, part is part of it that we almost want to deny that the differences exist rather than embracing them, rather than accepting that we are, you know, mothers and we are, mm-hmm. we are women and we can live with those rather than potentially trying to be like our male counterparts. Yeah. That's the thing. And you've got to embrace that difference. And there was a wave, um, there were numerous kind of feminist waves, but one is that feminism of difference where you, you completely respect and understand that you're different beings and that the different kind of strengths and weaknesses as it were. Um, so I think you're onto something there that it's, it's, it's okay to celebrate that difference. We don't have to become the same 
but everybody's difference need to be celebrated. It doesn't need to be a binarized view of difference. It's like we can have so many levels of difference, you know? That'd be nice. Very interesting. <laughs> Same with glasses empty, and I believe there's a bottle of shampoo. Oh, yes. Of My glass is always empty because I'm uh, happily, happily <laughs> filling that one up. Not because I haven't had a glass prior. Yes, thank you. I, I love that idea of actually embracing it. And it's really interesting because we, ourselves at Umbrella, we have a free range working arrangement. I mean, you know, that's how we work. It's, we call it free range. You work from where. Um, where you need to be to complete your job. And that, for me, means that I can live um, outside of Auckland. I live in the Waikato. Um, I'm at, I can work from my batch. I can take my kids to school. I can do all of those things. I'm incredibly lucky that my CEO lives in, in, in Northland and he lives the same the same life. So we're, and, and so coming from the top down, we are, we are promoting that. But we still, even within that, there are still people resisting. And I had the other day... One of our one of our um, managers, our top managers, and 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 he said, um, I don't think that this person is performing because they're working from home. They need to be in the office. That's interesting. And I just thought, even <clears throat> though it's not wholly on breaking the bias of the females, I just think, and I, and I said to him straight out, I will hand my notice in. I will resign if you tell me I have to be in the office from nine till five. It just it was straight out. Because as a female, I can't be, as a mum, no, not as a female, as a mum, I physically cannot be in the office 9 till 5. I, 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 my children do come first. Mm-hmm. And yet why should that let my career or me being able to do what I believe I'm doing a good job for Umbrella and I'm doing the things that are pushing that business forward, they would not have my skills or my ability to be able to look at things differently to what the others in there go, if I had to be in the office 9 to 5 because yeah. I've got children. 100%. There is still, though, I've come to accept that I know that I'm enough and I'm enough at work doing the hours and what I do. But is that hard for others if they're not in that environment or if they're being pushed to go to work or if they're being pushed to do the hours? Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's an interesting conundrum. It really is because you've got the courage and the vulnerability to say I'm – I'm doing my job and I'm doing it from home and I'm choosing to be a mother and equally good at my job, right? That's just who I am and that's who you are as an individual, right? And if somebody tries to take that away because perhaps they can't work in the same productive way from home, then that's really fair. Yeah, going on from this, like coming back to that kind of break the bias, do you think that the whole working remotely or free-range working, as Umbrella calls it, is biased in any particular way against any particular gender, men or women? Does it work better for men or women? I don't necessarily think so. I have I haven't really considered it that way. Yeah, I think. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting <coughs> one. Um, having a new business and you know where we're we're changing so frequently and and you know what we're doing tomorrow isn't what we were doing yesterday, and we can change direction like that. For us, having people in the office is quite different. It's that things are moving so fast and having that ability to collaborate on the fly when someone's just yelling something across the office, Mm. um, that is really important for us at the moment. We have a flexible working arrangement. People work from home one or two days a week. Um, But for us, having people in that the office is just so important for the life, for the stage of life where our business is at. 
I, I don't know how to um, sort of respond to what you said, Nadia, because yeah, I think I'm, I'm, we don't have anyone that's in the position where they have to be away from the office at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. We're in a similar, similar stage too, uh, as well. So our business is only a couple of years old. And I think it's less about the agent stage of the business. It is for us more about the agent stage of the wider team within it. Mm. Um, most of our team are, are relatively young, none have families, and it's not by design. I did not choose to hire people who don't have families. I would love to have people who have families. That would add some diversity of thought and experience to my team. However, it does mean that they're sort of less likely to perform. And I do understand the mm. sentiment of that comment by somebody that it is slightly better when, mm. when the team is in the office. But that said, we still, like you, Erica, we still operate a flexible arrangement where we would usually work one or two days a week from home. But we try to do that all together. So if we're, if we're all away, we're all away. Or if we're all in the office, we're all in the office. So, yeah, we're approaching that with an open mind. But I find it interesting that, it, like, I guess, pulling on, on a point that you're talking there around the hiring because obviously COVID's thrown us into a very much this flexible working, the ability to be able to work and, and what that's done. And it's and, and to me, I think it's actually made strides quicker for us to be able to have that flexible working and a little bit more of a balance for those men or women that actually need to stay at home with children or pick them up from school or, or have just chosen that they don't want them to be at after school care or before school care because they'd rather be able to pick them up and work and be flexible. Uh, but in the hiring, and I find this really interesting, is the diversity. Because a conversation I know I've had in the past is where, oh, for diversity, we must have this many women, or we must have a 50% woman, or we must have this. Now, as a woman, I actually find this a real, quite a conundrum. Because I'm like, you're pinpointing on hiring me because of my gender, not on my ability. Yeah. And should I not be hiring the best for the role? Mm-hmm. Mm, I yeah, I have really strong. I have strong views on this. Ooh. So I, a hundred percent. You know, you never want to be as a woman hired because of your gender. However, I'm now looking at it from the perspective <laughs> of owning a business where you know, at least 50% of our customers are female. And if I don't have a strong female representation in our design, in our development, in our marketing, then how are we supposed to cater to our customers? And so although it doesn't feel nice saying, well, I have to hire 50% of women, I just think it's so important um, from, yeah, but just from the perspective of really serving our customers. You raise a really good point there, and I think you might be about to touch on this, Sam, and that is do we think because the tech sector, especially those who develop and build the products, are, let's face it, predominantly men, do we think that tech itself is less designed for women and with women's this, this is interesting because whilst I agree with that sentiment that, you know, you want to appeal to that female audience, what it's presupposing is that men are un- incapable of understanding female needs, as an example, right? So it, I don't disagree with it, but it would basically assuming that no one is capable of 
marketing to our demographic and fully understands us. And it's like, well, what roadblocks are we putting up to not be understood? It's an interesting thing, right? You're like I need to to be seen to be representative of both, and and we are seeing. So the question you asked, Tina, was because there is a trend for men to build technology and work on technology. It's like, do, do we need that kind of female voice? I suppose is that why it's male dominated? And I think. I think it really is important to have a wide array of representation, but it, again, it gets messy when we start to say that it has to be fifty percent female, fifty percent male, and it's like, well, what about disabled? What about trans? What about everybody else on the other spectrum, LGBTQIA, right? And so, women are really important. We need to be celebrated, but we're actually still just deciding upon two. <laughs> 50% women, 50% women. It's a hard thing, isn't it? 100% agree with you. I would say just to further what I said was I actually think that all of our customers should, like our customers should be a reflection of who's in the business. Um, And so if there are other minorities or groups that we think Mm. should be represented, then absolutely this is not just about um, male and female. Exactly, yeah. This actually brings me back to a conversation I was having actually with two dads who have got daughters. And when, when we think about this breaking the bias and we're talking about equality and, and not just in genders but across the board, mm. but when we look at tech, you're right, Tina, mm. uh, we have one female in our dev engineer mm. team because they actually just are not there. They're not there to hire. Our, our team have said... We will hire them yeah. if they if they applied and if they were there, we would hire them. Like if they were if they were able to be hired, if they had the abilities to be hired. And the conversations that we were having with them was actually at a high school age. Yeah. And their daughters that are being told, if you want to get into computer sciences, and this isn't even at a coding level, this is like like they're saying computer sciences, you've got to have, you've got to be in the smart class, you've got to be in the math smart class, science, maths, all of this. And they're like, that's not what they need for coding. How do we look at breaking the bias if our girls are coming through, or anyone, Polynesian, Māori, like anyone coming through are given these predispositions before they even get to the point where they can start making their own choices. This is the challenge, right? And it's it's almost institutionalised, the the gendering, the stereotypes, the roles that people play, and it starts with education. I spoke earlier about language. Language is quite prohibitive because it's it's kind of this way or that way. It doesn't exist in the level of language to embrace that stuff in between. It's just education is the same right and it's like how can we circumvent at such an early age to to open up those opportunities and say this is for everybody if you're ambitious and driven and a problem solver you should apply for this that's it right it's it's so tough and I I ponder this a lot that how do you fix it it's like so many layers of the onion where that problem starts and we're trying to solve it over here once the onions, onion's the onions already in the dish, but it's like back when the onions growing, which is where we need to fix it. Yeah. I don't know how to fix it. If you think about in this room, the four of us, when you were at high school or even at um, pre-high school, what options were given to you? What what was on the plate um, in terms of what was available to you? And I'll share my experience. I went to a really small private girls' school in Hawke's Bay, and I'm only thirty nine. 
Only. We'll go with only. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, I was a teenager or in high school in the 90s. And so that's not that long ago. No. And the options presented to me at school were nurse, teacher, doctor, maybe if you're really smart, like an accountant, vet, that is all. That was what was on the table for me and or a wife. And that's it, you know, like that was the career options. And it wasn't even until I went to university that I discovered that media and marketing and all these other exciting roles and, like, STEM was not even mentioned. Like, there was no such thing. So that's the 90s, and that's, the, that's different now, I believe. I don't know. I would question that. I hired a young girl. She went and did a marketing degree at university. Marketing is so female. So, so female. female. You know, side note, I really struggle to hire men in my marketing agency. It's the other way around here. It's, it's like absolutely dominated by women. I have the opposite problem of mm-hmm. getting enough um, men and, and more masculine yeah. vibes in this office. Sorry. Um, no, my yeah. partner sells into marketing directors and I'm in a very traditionally male-orientated business and I love it, always have been. And he's always been in a female-orientated business and it's put us both at advantages because of that nuance and that difference that we bring, which I think should be celebrated as opposed to, but, yeah, you're right. It's like he's a breath of fresh air because he's a handsome, strong, rugged male. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, I mean, I think part of people – um, speaking in gross generalizations here that, um, you know, could get me into a lot of trouble. But um, men and women, do we gravitate more towards certain roles? Women to marketing, to your point, T, which is more feeling and understanding and intuition and men into engineering that might be more, you know, doing and it's very, it's, there's an out there's a clear outcome from an action you know and how do we sort of how do we create environments that allow for these differences to be acceptable so women can use their skills that are that are not necessarily what is typically associated with being a successful engineer and we can how do we create environments that foster those at the early years create a path because I think if you're, you know, if you're considering a career in engineering, but maybe you don't sort of tickle the boxes that you see other successful engineers um, as having um, in terms of skills and attributes, mm-hmm. the path then can be really unclear. Um, the hard thing is, is who makes those boxes? So they like, they, I can't tick all these boxes because that's what I think engineering supposed to be. And whoever's written the boxes is... Who wrote them? It's not fair. Like, it's just ripped that back as well. I think this is uh, um, this is sort of comes back to why I think then making a really conscious effort to hire women becomes important because part of the job that we do when we do that is we can create role models for other people, you know, other women to look to. And, yeah, I, I, I would hate to say sometimes that means not necessarily hiring the person that is, you know, the most ticks more of the boxes but making a conscious decision to hire someone, mm. you know, a woman. Mm. I don't know. That's controversial. So, <laughs> But I like it. Is that saying, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm. 
So if it's not visible, if, if lots of women as engineers aren't visible to you, how do you yeah. then know that there's a pathway to becoming it yourself? It's unclear, as you say. Taking another angle on that, though, is they may not appear in the interview to be the right person. They may, you, you may, but you have a gut feeling. You've got a gut feeling. I just had a conversation with, I, I, I met her in, as a work colleague. She's now a really good friend. She's just had her second, her second child. She's looking at going back to work, and I'm talking to her about some roles. She said to me, you need to coach me on this. I have no confidence. There's such a classic so for women. I know she is amazing. Mm. I know she can smash this job. But she's got... So she was not interview as well. Yeah. So, so she may not that. come across as the best person, but she actually probably is the best person. And so there's this confidence of our women that once they go, often they have children that when they come back, they've lost that confidence yeah. in themselves and what yeah. their ability is. And also, I think there's that, but I also know that I've got baby at home and if daycare rings and I've got to do this and I've got to do that mm. and I've got to do the groceries and I've probably got to cook dinner tonight and I've got to do this and how can I be concentrating on work mm. when I've got all of this mm. and they just lose that confidence. So maybe actually we're helping to break the bias, break that cycle yeah. by hiring on our guts sometimes. Yeah, and I think this raises another good point about ensuring that our interviewing process isn't creating these biases as well. Love that. Are we, you know, are we creating a situation where only some people are going to be successful um, and how do we sort of, how do we really identify what that might look like and what those issues are? Um, and go into the interview with our eyes wide open. Um, Such a good point. Yeah, or closed. I mean, <laughs> do you do a blind interview? You know, it's like you listen to me. You know, this is a bit silly, but so right? interesting. But I have noticed, obviously, with um, tending towards younger people applying for the types of roles, like digital marketing is a quite a young person's game for a large part of it, and so we tend to get quite um, youngish. When I say young, sort of like anywhere between twenty five and the early 30s, um, apply for these types of roles. And I have noticed a wild trend towards people submitting CVs with pictures, with, with photos on them, which is not something that used to happen a lot. And nowadays it's like, here I am, and basically you cannot help but your internal biases immediately judge somebody uh-huh. based on an image. Uh-huh. I prefer it when you can't see them and you're just reading about who they are as a person and what, they've ta- what they're saying yeah. about themselves rather than what their image says about them. And I try so hard to put my biases aside, but they're it's unconscious. It's, it's unconscious, and yeah. it's really hard to, to go past it. And social media doesn't help because we can literally look at this CV and go onto LinkedIn or go onto onto. You should prevent Instagram, yourself from doing that. Age. We do, no, we do do that. Like you'd be crazy not to do that. <laughs> Right. And then it's like, well, hey, if you're looking for a job, you better go and filter every aspect of your life to appease that that interviewer, right? If you were a smart candidate, you'd backtrack everything and filter, filter, filter. filter. But that's a good point. Yeah. Um, But they did, they did a study. Uh, I I couldn't tell you any real firm statistics, but. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about where there is um, people that submitted a job application and they, they changed. It was the same content, but they changed the name mm-hmm. title. One was a, a foreign name or an Indian name. One was a female, one was a male. Um, but it's ultimately the same CV that was read um, and it was a number of different people who, who received the application. And um, the, the trend was, A, to rule out those with a, a name that was difficult to 
to pronounce right, but completely skewed. The content was the same. The only thing that changed was the name at the top. That unconscious bias is there, whether we know it or not. I think the most important thing is just to be aware that it's there and have people on either side to kind of question it and that you can trust to say, look, you're making a poor choice here mm. because if it, you know, you're going to just spiral into the, all of this unconscious bias, but it's interesting that it, it's very much happens, right? Why would you put a photo on your CV? It doesn't matter. It's honestly, I'd say 90% of the CVs we receive for a junior role. So this is definitely noticeably, noticeably different for younger applicants mm. for, for junior roles. 90% of the CVs received for a junior role had They've been canvassed. Also, Canva spewed up all over every resume we received. <laughs> Everything was the same. It was like Canva has a CV template that people must be like, do done that, and then they pop their photo in there. They looked all identical. It was very cute. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is hilarious. But it doesn't happen at senior roles, obviously. No. I mean, I, we experienced the same thing when we were hiring for our marketing roles. Everyone under the age of 30, photo on the CV. Mm-hmm. And over 30, no photo. So I would have thought, though, as um, younger people, maybe slightly more educated and maybe more open-minded, are actually possibly doing worse disservices to themselves by Mm. reinforcing the stereotypes and including photos. I think there's a little bit where they're doing exactly what you just said and using a template and following the sheep mentality, following the herd. Canva has got a template where I can put my photo, so I should put my photo. Mm-hmm. Instead of actually thinking... What does the interviewer make, need to see? What do they need to see? Making that choice. A little bit off off topic, but I, I literally have had dramas last night with, with my boy. And um, around swimming, um, which, you know, you've got to love the whole swimming sports sagas around uh-huh. getting graded and things like that with right. swimming. But anyway... But what we actually said to him was, does doing that action help you to complete your life goals, what you want to do? And he was like, no. I said, cool. So there's two things. You can either go to swimming lessons and learn that, but if it's not going to help your life goals, what does it matter? He's like, no. So I sent him off with a task to actually say, turn it completely around go to two children today and one who was trying really hard say, you tried really hard today. And the other one was to say, you're really good at swimming because it might be their sport and what they are into and what they do want to achieve. But if we actually, are we not giving our young people enough direction or mentoring to actually think for themselves and not just use the Canva template because it has a photo? I would never put a photo on my CV. But I think there's just bored scrolling, right? So there's a lack of ability to make an autonomous decision without benchmarking, right? So this is the decision, what's everybody else doing? And so social media has created this space where even if they made an independent choice, it's not in, it's not theirs for a while because they'll start to feel self-conscious mm-hmm. around it, right? I think there is something in that in the role that we're all in tech, that tech plays to, you know, bring us all together. There are so many disadvantages in terms of general kind of EQ and skills that people just we thought just know, but they don't they don't know these days because everything is validated externally by likes and, and instant gratification. So that's a really tough one to navigate. And that's actually why I'm scared shitless to have children. Just <laughs> um, you heard it here first, not sure. Um, it's so scary. I don't know how to navigate that. It's it's just like a jungle out there on social media. Like turning it off doesn't stop it. But I just 
delete the apps. It doesn't help it. (laughs) Scary. Yeah. So you just raised a really good point about what I think I was trying to get at earlier around is tech reinforcing biases because it's been built by certain types of people. Mm. Um, So the fact is Canva is one of the biggest tech success stories of the last decade, right? And the fact that it is the go-to place for young people looking to make a CV, for instance, and they've got a template there. Who designed the template? And then now so many millions of people may be using this template, and that has an impact on hiring decisions around the world. That is an example of tech, a tiny decision in tech that is impacting people's livelihoods and futures. Mm. Which I think is mainly all those little subtle decisions are so important when you think about the role that technology plays to enhance people's lives and keep them secure and safe and all that good stuff. In most cases, it's such a positive swing, but we're seeing adverse effects of that, right? Well, we're seeing, like, if I if I can be a bit nerdy, but we're seeing tools that, yeah, I'm going to be real nerdy. Um, <laughs> we're seeing, as an example, something like an RMM tool, which is purpose-built to help keep endpoints secure and customers secure and enable MSPs to deliver remote support, blah, 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 blah. But we're seeing them, like, that's built for the good, for the greater good of MSPs, right, to drive efficiency, generate revenue, keep them secure. Um, but we're seeing them become weaponized. So what we're seeing is that all tech, if you think about it in the biggest scheme of things, has a really genuine good why cause and then they're weaponized in some way and have an adverse effect. And it's like, where does it stop? And I don't know. I think we all love tech because it's made us successful in who we are. But what pillars and what things can be put in place from a human level to be able to block some of those adverse effects? And I think that that's where the problem lies. It's like, how can we intervene and how can we start to build a culture and a language that goes, actually, oh, that's wrong. Let me human, like, step in before tech ruins everything. Does that yeah. make sense? It's an even yeah. more nuanced follow-on from the impact of algorithms that are in social media, which we all know have an impact yes. around creating a bias or, a, or like a, a bubble, an echo chamber. We all know about that now, right? That's something. That- and I'm so keen to just talk about this for so long because I'm just so – I. I recently learned about this Facebook algorithm, and I don't know if I've been living under a rock. <laughs> so, look, you know, I don't. No, no, no. When I say recently, not like thirty seconds ago. I mean, you know, in the last year, and just gobsmacked, right? It, it, it's scary, um, and yeah, I'm keen to hear everybody's thoughts on this. And it's like, what the soul for it is is deleting Facebook and Instagram the way to go, or is it is it so ingrained in our culture that if they go, then what's what's the next thing that's going to pop up and start to use our algorithm to put us into hate groups and uh, mm, so scary. around the whole around the whole hashtag break the bias. I think that technology has a huge part to play in ensuring that we can break the bias, and one of those things is very conscious decisions around what tech is allowed to do in terms mm. of algorithmic biasing yes. um, around what content you see and what content you interact with, even templates on Canva, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this really is something we thought about um, really specifically because at the same time that we created Coupler, um, you know, the Netflix documentary came out. And, you know, the one thing that kind of really stuck with me is if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Mm. And so we made a conscious decision that we were never going to sell our user data. Um, And once you make that decision, 
well, then the way that you structure data and you use data totally changes. So we're not making decisions about what to serve people based on how much someone is paying us. Yeah, and I, I, it's, Mm. you know, it's hard when you think about, well, what do we do with businesses that are already so established? Like Facebook is just such a, you know, it's such a beast. How do you even start to think about unwinding that or even even just really understanding it? As mm. how as a user do you mm. understand the bias that exists? That's, really and that's ah, where I think that, that human element, that layer, right? We can talk about tech and algorithms and it's like we're asking humans to make a conscious effort to say, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to make a moral choice to, to not do that or I'm not going to let my unconscious bias rule me in left or right or whatever. Um, I assume it needs to start at the, at the top and go top down and that's where I think that they're getting themselves into all sorts of strife because no one's making a, the right choice for humanity. They're making the right choice for their, um, you know, their p and It's a very good point. But even like thinking about office biases, we were just talking about the men versus women temperature difference in an office. <laughs> oh, yes. Honestly, if you were a woman developer or an engineer in a room full of engineers who were like, because men literally, they run hotter than women. Yeah. I bring your puffer jacket. That's biology, to work. right? <laughs> yes. You're going to be freezing. Yeah. And they're going to shut the curtains <laughs> and the blinds and want to be in the dark as well. Like, yeah. So there's environments like that that, you know, is that also off putting and, you know, not exactly open for all? It's not really kind of welcoming for. Mm-hmm. It's not welcoming, right? I'd freeze. I hate being cold. I can't mm. think of anything. And then who gets to win in that circumstance? <laughs> Nobody wins because everyone's, it's like. If, if you have a, a moderate temperature, the, the guys are too hot and the women are like not hot enough. Ugh. And so it's a constant battle here in the agency. Yep. We're like constantly battling over what the temperature is. And like, <laughs> I had the aircon guys come in and they were like, honestly, 21.5 degrees is the optimal office temperature. It leads to the least number of, you know, disagreements about temperature. And we've really tried to set it, like, stay at that level. And we're, we're kind of, you know, we're coming together. I love how <laughs> I love how it was like 21.5 is the most optimal for the least amount of disagreements. I love that they had that as a stat. Yep. That is absolutely so good. Yeah. Um, like, continuing on from your point, because I think there is a huge amount that probably even us in tech can – when we're doing things can, but it, but it actually, and you touched on it before around me, it's a weakness and something that I've learned very much. So I, I was very lucky to be put through six months of leadership training and it all came back to awareness. Once you're aware of it, then you can do something about it mm-hmm. or you can see it. Yeah. But if you're not aware of it, so it kind of brings me back to even just us talking about this yeah, and not talking about this in a, CEO or, you know, a very, I guess, a putting us, giving ourselves an other, but just talking about it in general, not even from a female point of view, but just humanity point of view. We've got this amazing tech that can do amazing things. We can, but we still, we need that human wheel. We need to be able to make those decisions yep. for ourselves, for our families, for our peers, for our employees that are actually making the right decisions for us as a as a and I, and I think with everything going on in the world at the moment, that's so so much more important. The P and L, which you mentioned, which I think has 
absolutely taken over and been the the directive of where our world's gone to for the last however long. There seems to be a turning of the tide where, yes, the PR is important to support, but actually it's also across that human where our, our well-being, our I don't know if it's too late. I hope it's not too late. But, I, but I, 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 don't, I don't believe it's too late. I think that I think that there is always about to bring out David Attenborough because I'm looking at this nature here, but you did you ever watch that nature documentary just talking about global warming and at the end it was doom and gloom for, you know, all of it and the last five minutes was like, but it's not too late. We've all got something we can do to to change the outlook. If we did X, we can deliver Y. And I think it's so important that when we do paint fear, uncertainty and doubt that we then wrap it on with, hey, but here's how we can solve that for you. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like that's where that human sits on top and says, well, hey, if you thought about it from this perspective, maybe that's going to change. You know those questions like, will AI rule the world? Will we be run by robots? And being extremely humane and sociable and you know highly extrovert i think fuck no (laughs) how are they going to make really how are they going to bond how are they going to give people what they need and so i think that there is always that blend of of tech and human right and it's just getting that balance right in the right way that reminds me of the very first uh, the first time i was ever at microsoft so so and this actually brings me to my i I really want to hear from each of you how you got to where you're at uh, because we're all we're all head of CEOs, owners of like we're all up there as far as women executives, and we didn't get here because someone gave it to us. I'd really love to hear actually from each of us the stories. But that that also just I was at Microsoft. I'd come back from not working for seven years um, in the corporate world. I had definitely had an experience with a, a large New Zealand corporate where I had a very high glass ceiling. I got given garden leave because I didn't fit the culture. I didn't I didn't work with the males that were there and all sorts. And it was and, and I swore I wasn't coming back into the corporate world. And and I was a we were we had our business and I worked in, in that for seven years. I came back and I was lucky enough to get a role in tech completely, completely just by luck. It was a marketing role and it was a tech company. I, w- uh, I was at Microsoft the very first week they had a, I had a launch day and it was at Microsoft and, and a video got put up by, um, actually by Pip Simming, the marketing lady there at the time, lovely, wonderful woman, and it was on AI. And it wasn't the AI that take over the robots, it was the AI that's actually making a difference to real people's lives. This mother with her two sons and she was blind or almost blind and the AI was helping her to read books to them at night. Things like this where it's not. Connect. It's the connect. The technology is helping people to actually live their lives better mm-hmm. and to connect better mm-hmm. and do. And I mm-hmm. think there is this massive, um, there is this, this possibility where you can go down the road of breaking the bias and the fear and the this and the, and all of that. All of these also we can take that and we can turn it and we can do it for the good and add that human way. And we've got that opportunity to speak up as executive women, be mentors, show leadership, talk to our girls or to anybody, like like really grow that and make that change. But I, I would like to come back around to how did you get to where you are, maybe starting with you, Sam, sure. and go around, but how did you get to where you are? 
That's a very good question. It depends how far back we want to go, but I'll give you the cliff notes. <laughs> so, so the day I was born, no, just kidding. Um, just kidding. <laughs> so I did, um, I actually did about, oh, I did a number of years as an elite gymnast actually, and I always use this as my starting point um, to, to kind of launch my, my professional story because it allowed me to develop a lot of skills around disciplined and discipline and, and hard work and priorities and you know striving for a goal. So if we think about it in a professional context, it was very much that I was training thirty two hours, thirty five hours a week from eight years old to about fourteen, fifteen. Um, it was really the kind of what me, got me thinking around. Hey, there's I've got something to work towards. Anyway, fast forward um, several years from that, I did a degree in gender studies and cultural studies at uni. It took me six years to finish it because I, you know, I love to love to live my life and travel and party for anyone who knows me down for a good time. Um, but what that enabled me to do, right, is you understand the world and the people and why they do what they do. And um, I found myself in a, in a sales role doing graduate sales recruitment and selling sales training and helping sales directors fill holes in their recruitment strategy because same things happening in tech is that there is a really hard to find good tech, good tech talent. There's a labor shortage. So what happens when you can't go to market and pay an extra 20K? Well, you grow your home, you grow your talent, right? You give them soft skills development, you hire on coachability and then, hey, presto, you've, you've got a great salesperson. So um, off the back of that, I was like, hey, I love sales. I love people. Um, I love working for a number. I love I love growth, right? Um, found myself at Datto because not particularly because I thought tech was awesome, but that I knew, you know, I love it now, but I just knew that it was stable. It was something that I could challenge myself in. I think that I could sell ice to an Eskimo, so I didn't really care what kind of what I was selling. Um, and, yeah, nearly four years on, I, I live and breathe for the tech, and the part of the reason why I'm still with the business is because you believe in the vision, you believe in the why, and I think – you know, over the last 10 years, I've gone, everything that I've done has led me to where I am. And I can understand people and their role within the business and the role that tech plays to solve that. So it's a lot of growth ahead. So it's a very exciting time to, to be at Dado. And yeah, I mean, again, imposter syndrome, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sure we've all <laughs> asked ourselves, you know, just because I can generate revenue and build a business, what, you know, how do you grow a region? So I'm asking myself really important questions every day about how I can you know, grow from all of these challenges, but it's exciting. Oh, imposter syndrome, yeah. and right. uh, and when you talk, I, I always just say, "Fake it to your mind." Hundred percent. And uh, no, and it could be a podcast in itself, the, right? Uh, I, I think there could be a whole nother subject that exactly. we talk about because although the other thing is, there's quite often where I know what I'm talking about, but. Because it is a male or someone and I'll question something, I will literally just go, I'm not sure, son. I'm going to make it. And they go, look on their face. They're like, what? You know like, the answer. I'm not the answer, but I'm like, well, come on. But I go back to them. I'm like, actually not 100%. Let me come back to you because I don't want to look like a dick. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, hey, I don't know the fact that you haven't come from physics and science and maths. No, and you know, exactly. Yes. definitely not. You make your own path in this world. Amazing. Only Erica. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I am a chartered accountant by trade. So wow. let that put wow. you to sleep. <laughs> um, kind of did the thing, you know, like Tina mentioned, you know, if you wanted a good career, you could be an accountant. So <laughs> I went down that path and actually my first exposure um, to tech was when I was the financial planning and analysis manager for a company called Movio. And I really loved tech. You know, my 
exposure to tech being at Movio, just being surrounded by uber bright people that were specialists in their field, super passionate about what they were doing, but also just um, seeing technology's power to influence decisions. Um, and so Movio's purpose was to connect every movie goer with their ideal movie. And so they're creating um, experiences for their moviegoers, which I loved. I have a passion for events and, you know, experience, people having experiences. And so while I was at Movie, I was building a business called Symphony, um, which is, you know, electronic dance music and, and so orchestras. Cool. So <laughs> I did I ended up leaving um, Movie O2 to run Symphony full time. I ended up selling that business in at the end of 2019. Um, and, you know, obviously um, events turned to absolute custard. So um, that was my career um, in the event space sort of over at that time. And that afforded me the time to think about Coupler with my husband and co-founder. Yeah, I mean, we just, we had this idea that really wanted, to, we were, really wanted to scratch our own itch in terms of, we, you know, we have so many things pulling on our attention um, and we know that we're better as a couple when we make time for each other. But mm-hmm. when you've been together a while and you've got kids and careers and, and everything else that goes with it, your relationship is often the first thing that gives. And so we thought just by solving our own problem that we could also solve other people's problems. Yeah. Um, and we refine, you know, we sort of went about refining what we were doing through, you know, lots and lots of user testing to get to where we are now. And um, we've got about five full-time employees now, and um, we've launched, just launched um, a few weeks ago, actually, a fully um, featured version of the app into Auckland. Great timing because people are going on lots of date nights at the moment. Not. Um, <laughs> we've got restaurants closing all over the show. So um, it's a it's an interesting time. It's a challenging time, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's do you great. know what? I, I, the, the first thing I do when I leave is I'm actually going to download it because I do think it. it's a brilliant idea. And having been with my partner for over six years it's 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 just genius so yeah I'm gonna download it and I'm still tell all your friends and I'm still going out you know I'm just fearing the fearing the omicron so yeah um my journey to where I am uh, I guess the underlying current or theme of my journey has been my strong ability to um, as an empath I I'm really good at understanding what moves people and so I've always been a really good storyteller and so that goes right back to my early days in, in my media career as a journalist and stylist and a magazine editor through so full traditional media before social media was a thing. And then as soon as that came along, I was like, hell yes, I can now connect with way more people Absolutely. in a more direct way. And I really like loved social media. I loved that way that you could tell a story with a single image and a caption. You didn't need to put together a 500-page magazine every quarter to be able to tell a story and connect with an audience. So I really love that. I then went on into working with one of the biggest media businesses in New Zealand, looking after all the social media strategies for some of our biggest media brands, so the likes of New Zealand Herald and ZM and Newstalk ZB and Viva and all these other really cool media brands um, because I'm really good at connecting stories with the right audiences. And that gives me a huge thrill. I'm also conscious that my entire career, I've only ever worked for men. My bosses have all been men. A good number of them, total assholes, 
<laughs> but they were good, strong men. And whilst they might have been dickheads sometimes, they never treated me differently and they always demanded excellence yeah. and they might have been shit at being leaders. Um, but actually that made me step up as a leader myself because in place of a good leader, I had to be a leader myself. So I mm-hmm. think a lot of my leadership training came mm-hmm. out of having poor leaders. And so when the time came and um, I had a bit of a sojourn in Sydney with my husband, we came back, uh, COVID-related, come back to New Zealand. And it was when I came back to New Zealand and the whole shit hit the fan with that original lockdown, people and businesses, my friends with businesses were like phoning, like, I don't know, I had 10 calls in a day one time around people like, we've got an e-commerce store, we're no longer allowed to open our doors, we can't trade anymore, we we have to focus on our on digital presence, help. And I said no to about nine of them. And then Josh, my husband, was like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> you say yes to a whole bunch of these things. You've got an Insta business. Um, 100%. I wasn't yeah. really prepared already, and I didn't even want to do it. And I was like, oh. and he said, you're going to have to work super duper hard for a number of years. But if you do lean into it, you've got the network, the talent, the skills, and a whole bunch of big axes spying on some big corporates with former staff of mine who I knew really well, and I was able to scoop some of the best talent from those roles. So I had instant talent, and I had some instant clients, and um, so the attention agency was born. And I still, this whole business is founded on the ability to connect its audience, connect really great stories with the right audiences. And I think half of the reason I've got so many tech clients is that tech companies have really struggled to tell their stories well. And... I'm just a person and telling a story to a human being on the other end of a, of a channel. And a lot of companies really forget that we're not marketing to um, leads or we're not marketing to customers. We're actually marketing to people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're marketing to people who are in the scroll hole while they're sitting on the dunny. And, you know, <laughs> in that space, you know. That's so, so true. I always try and put that hat on when I'm, when I'm in my in work mode. So yeah, I feel like the common like the common theme here. We've spoken about this so much, but it's just is people, mm. you know. And that brings me back to I don't know if any of you are, are Simon Sinek fans, but yes. he just speaks so much around invest in your people, and then the tribe's gonna follow. People don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. It's all around building a good team and a good culture of people, and they're gonna be your your culture carriers, right? It's like. What is your why as an organization? Allow them to find theirs and bring people on that journey that are gonna like, they want to kind of come on that journey with you. It's just so important. There's always that that person element. That's probably why we've all been, you know, more successful than most. I've always worked for men as well. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, right? A lot of leaders are men, right? Exactly. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, mainly men, uh, except for Westfield. I'll, I'll name them. They were amazing. We, I walked in on my, oh, I, I was out of the, um, the, the Hamilton one. I came up to Auckland. I walked into our first, my first meeting with all of the marketing managers from all of the Westfields through New Zealand. And there was a table of about 10 women. Cool. And it was like, That's wow. That's impressive. Wow. Like, I, I'm I'm same as you, Tina. Snap, thirty nine. I was a twenty nine year old. Walked in and went. For the first time, I'd seen this table of leadership women who absolutely just bolstered each other up as well. And I think that's that's really awesome. I, I what I what I 
took actually from from all of us here though is none of us came from anything no one really got handed this no one no one was any traditional way of really coming through we've all made our own path and forged our own path and I think it's being able to now let our, our, our younger generation understand that they can make their own path and that they can do this in their own way I did see a post. I, I know it's so influential, but I, I saw a post. <laughs> Your favourite platform. <laughs> it was, it was um, a little girl and she was with her mum and they went walked into a lift and and there was another lady in there. And this lady said to her, oh, I love your outfit. And, and the mum went, oh, thank you so much. I love your shoes. And the little girl said, mum, why are you saying nice things to each other? And... She, and, and the other lady said, because we are women, we build each other up. And I think how amazing is that, that we can do that? And, and that's across the board. I know we're talking about kind of women because it's Women's International Day, but I think if we as a, as a can break that bias through awareness and through talking and through the positives and use our tech to do that, we've got such a huge opportunity in our mm-hmm. tech mm-hmm. to use our tech for good and to use our apps and to use our social media influence Mm. that we can actually make a difference and the awareness of breaking that bias. That is such a nice way to wrap this up. I was just thinking that. I I was just thinking we could all just treat each other like we were women in a nightclub toilet. (laughs) I think I've met some of my best friends in a nightclub toilet that I forgot to follow up with the next day. They were like, oh, my God, you're going to come to my wedding. This is totally a sidetrack and you can absolutely cut this. But um, the ACC, I was watching the cricket the other day and the ACC were talking about being in the spy bar toilets and making plans with um, the guy next to you to walk up Rangi Toto the next day. And <laughs> That's amazing. Some wild plans and make some cool chicks. And just, just, just ghost friends, yeah. It was just like, oh, she gets me. <laughs> Like nobody else. That's crazy. Yeah, but that is a really beautiful way to wrap up. I guess the whole theme and vibe of our chat today. And um, Nadia, uh, and for you guys too, uh, if if some young people, some young women, um, or anyone listen to this, I would hope that they are inspired to know and understand that because the path isn't always clear. Just because it's not clear doesn't mean you can't be in places like where we are right now. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much all for joining. Thank you for Thank coming. Thank you so much Thank for having us. We've already got awesome. different topics that we'll be <laughs> on. So yeah. we do. Round two. <laughs> Thanks so much.